Well, good morning, sisters and brothers. Uh, could you turn with me, please, to 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, and I'll lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us by your Spirit through your Word. And we ask that you speak to us this morning as we look at this passage together. Uh, and we pray, Lord, that uh, uh, through this, uh, you'll help us to see even more clearly uh, the great hope that you have given us. Uh, and enable us, uh, therefore, uh, to continue to love you and trust you uh, in the midst of the trials of this life. And we pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, somebody once said, human beings can live for 40 days without food, four days without water, and four minutes without air. But we cannot live for four seconds without hope. Well, that might be a little bit of an exaggeration, uh, but there is a kernel of truth in it, isn't there? Perhaps a more nuanced quote would be from the ethicist and theologian Lewis Smeets, uh, who wrote this. Hope is to our spirits what oxygen is to our lungs. Lose hope and you die. They may not bury you for a while, but without hope you are dead inside. The only way to face the future is to fly straight into it on the wings of hope. Hope is the energy of the soul. Hope is the power of tomorrow. Well, in times of pandemic, we all need hope. Uh, we need to be able to look forward to the day when we can live our lives freely again without the restrictions that we see now. Uh, we need to be able to look forward to meeting our friends and our loved ones. We need to, we need to be able to be sure that, the things, that things will not always be as they are today. Otherwise, we might fall into despair. Well, if that is true in times of pandemic, it is also true in the bigger scale of our whole lives. In the bigger picture, with or without the pandemic, we still need hope. We still need a vision of the future that enables us to thrive in the present. But it cannot just be wishful thinking. We don't want to have a fool's hope, a picture of the future that helps us now, but is not grounded in reality. That might make us feel better today, but it cannot deliver in the end. Our passage today is about hope. But it's not a fool's hope. It's a living hope. It's a hope that is truly alive because Christ is alive. It is grounded in reality because Christ really has been raised from the dead. And since he has conquered death, the future he offers is a real future. It is a certain future that gives us joy here and now despite the many trials that we face. The passage begins in thanksgiving to God for this hope. Peter writes in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why? Well, the first thing he shows us is that God in his mercy has given this living hope to us. For God has caused us, in verse 3, to be born again. Right? We were dead in sin, but God's Spirit has come into our hearts and given us new life. And this is not because of our efforts, but because, verse 3 again, because of His great mercy. Uh, because of our sins, we actually deserve to remain in death, heading for condemnation. But God in His mercy has granted us new life. And part and parcel of, of being given this new life is being given a real hope. Verse 3 says that God has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because now we have something to look forward to in the end. We no longer live a life that we don't know where we're ultimately heading. We know for certain what our future holds. 
For if God kept his promise to raise Christ from the dead, we can be sure he will keep all his promises, including his promise to raise us. If Christ has been raised, then those who have been born again will be raised as well. And so death is not the end for us, as it was not the end for Christ. And we have God's rock-solid promises that we will be raised. And not just raised back to the kind of life we have now. For verse 4 says, we'll be raised, the resurrection of Christ from the dead is to an inheritance. We are born again to an inheritance. We read in our Old Testament reading how God gave the people of Israel the promised land as their inheritance. Right? That, that was the place where he gave them where they could enjoy his blessing and rule. And God has given us new birth to an inheritance. He has brought us into his family so that we can share the family inheritance. Right, last, week, last week we saw that, that we, we are exiles in this world living far away from home. But friends, we have an inheritance. We have a home in our promised land of the new creation, where we will be God's people in God's place under his blessing and rule forever. In this life, we may or may not get an inheritance from our physical family, our parents or grandparents, but, but this inheritance is much better. It is even better than the inheritance God gave Israel. Because this inheritance, verse 4, is imperishable. All material wealth will eventually disappear. God's inheritance will last forever. This inheritance is also undefiled. There is no sin or stain in this inheritance. In this inheritance, our relationship with God and with each other will be perfect we will be able to indeed love God perfectly and perfectly experience his love without the stain of sin which, which hinders our enjoyment of him and indeed of each other. That inheritance is unfading. We will never get tired or bored of it, but revel in it for all eternity. For unlike anything in this world, the glory, the beauty, the splendor of that inheritance will never diminish. And friends, this inheritance is safe. Verse 4 says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for us. No one can take it away. God keeps it safe there. But not only is God keeping the inheritance safe for us, he is also keeping us safe for the inheritance. And verse 5 says that we are being guarded by God's power, right? God's power is protecting us from whatever it is or whoever it is that would seek to stop us from receiving that inheritance. And so that he guards us, verse 5, for the salvation ready to be received at the last time. And how does he do that? He protects us, verse 5, through faith. He enables us to keep on trusting in the death of Jesus on our behalf to keep on trusting in him as our Lord. He keeps on, enables us to keep on trusting in him, and that is how he keeps us. Because remember, it is by faith we are saved. And if it's by faith we get saved, it is by faith we stay saved. He guards us through faith. So God's power guards us. He keeps us by faith for that day when that final salvation, which has already been prepared for us, will be seen. Friends, God is so good to us, isn't he? 
in the past. He has given us new birth into this living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. In the future, he will make sure that living hope becomes a reality by, by revealing the ultimate salvation that's been prepared for us and, and bringing us to the inheritance. And in the present, he keeps us safely so that we make it by faith to the end. The proper response to God's mercy to us, past, present and future, is thanksgiving to him. And so we join with Peter and millions of other people down through the ages, saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, in his mercy, has given us a living hope. Well, the second big thing we see in this passage is that we can rejoice in that hope despite our present hardships. Verse 6 opens with the words, In this you rejoice. And we rejoice in our hope. We rejoice in our coming salvation from the pains and griefs of this world. We rejoice in our, our perfect inheritance where we will enjoy God forever. These, these are the things that give us joy. This is what we treasure. This is what we long for. And that joy coexists with the sadness and grief that we also face in this world. So in the midst of a hardship, we can rejoice in God's grace to us. Because friends, the Bible is very realistic. Christians will sometimes face grief. Uh, compared with the eternity we enjoy with God, we only have to face them in verse 6 for, for a little while. Right? Because things, things will not always be as they are now. But there will be things that happen now that make us sad or distressed or dejected. There will be things that break our hearts. Peter says that we still rejoice in verse 6, though for now, for a little while, as was necessary, or if necessary, or by necessity, you have been grieved by various trials. Right? The recipients of this letter had been facing opposition to their faith. And as I think and pray for our congregation, I know that we are facing many trials that cause us grief. There are some of us who are terribly ill with COVID-19, with dengue, with cancer, with heart disease, with, with chronic pain in our joints or in our hearts. Some of us have family members who are sick. We're not even allowed into the hospital to see them because of the pandemic. Some of us have been recently bereaved and don't even have the opportunity to grieve with family that we otherwise would have done. Some of us have lost multiple family members or friends in a short period of time. Some of us face great difficulty at work and some of us don't have work. And it's taking its toll on us. Some of us have terrible depression and feel at times that life is no longer worth living. Some of us just feel down and lonely and, and find things hard because we're in the lockup. Some of us are worried that there are people who wish us harm and afraid that they might act on it. Some of us have family problems, feel the pain of broken relationships. Some of us have to leave our friends and supports and people we've come to love because of visa problems. Others can't reach our loved ones, even when they're in trouble because of closed borders. I could keep on going, 
There's so many things that are happening in our community, but I don't need to. We all know, like Peter's readers knew, that we are grieved by all kinds of trials. And as we face these trials, they prove, verse 7, the tested genuineness of our faith. Real faith is not just faith that trusts God when everything's good. Real faith is a faith that trusts God even when things are bad. Real faith is not just faith that trusts God when it's popular to do so, it's faith that trusts God when it's not. Real faith isn't just faith that trusts God when life is easy. Real faith is faith that trusts God when things are hard. And I see this real faith in our congregation. The trials we go through show that our faith is really genuine. And when gold is tested by fire and shown to be genuine, that is very precious. And when faith is tested by fire and shown to be genuine, well, verse 7 says that it is even more precious. Because remember, that is how God keeps us for the salvation on the last day. Even real gold that is tested by fire will perish in the end, but, but real faith leads to our eternal inheritance. And soon the trials we face now, for a little while, will soon be over. And real faith, verse 7, will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, it's hard to tell whether Peter's saying that we will receive praise and glory and honor from God on that day because of our faith, or if Jesus receives the praise and glory and honor on that day because of our faith. Actually, both are true, right? Because God will praise those who endure. Right? We do long to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. We know he will share his glory with us, his people, and that, that means more than all the meaningless and fleeting glory of this world. All that's true. But in the context of this passage, the emphasis, I think, seems to be on God's work. God is the one who has given us new birth through the resurrection of his son. God is the one who keeps us by his power for the salvation ready to be revealed at the last day. And yes, he does it by our genuine faith, but in the end, he's the one who does it. And so it is fitting then that the revelation of Jesus Christ, that praise and glory and honor go to him. He's the one who really deserves it. And friends, that is an even higher motivation for us, an even better hope than the praise and glory and honor that we will receive. It is the ultimate hope that the faith we express now, tested by these trials that we go through, found to be genuine, would in the end bring praise and glory and honor to the God who has been so merciful to us. Our trials would be worthwhile, not just because of the inheritance we receive when Jesus returns, not just because of the salvation we will enjoy, not just because we will be glorified with Christ, but because our proven, genuine trust in him will bring him praise and glory and honor in the end. And there is nothing more significant, nothing more meaningful, nothing we would want more than to bring glory to our Savior even if that means that now, for a little while, we are grieved by various trials. And the reason for that, verse 8, is because we love him. 
the Apostle Peter had already seen Jesus and loved him, but we, like the original readers of this letter, will only see him when he is revealed in the end. And it says that though we have not seen him, we love him. We don't need to see Jesus physically to know that he loves us and died for us. The Holy Spirit pours his love into our hearts, and so, and so we love him in return. And even though we still don't see him, verse 8 continues, we believe in him. We put our trust, our hope, our confidence in him. We believe he died for us. We believe he's our risen Lord. We believe he will come back to save us and give us our inheritance. And as we love him and believe in him, verse 8 continues, we rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. In the midst of our trials, in the midst of our sadness and grief, we have a glorious joy that we cannot describe in words. It is a joy that comes from loving our Savior and bringing glory to Him. It is a joy that comes from knowing that we are obtaining, in verse 9, the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. We do have a joy in the midst of trials. So friends, in the midst of suffering, believers have a hope. The suffering we face shows the genuineness of our faith, and God keeps us by that faith in the midst of our suffering, so that in the end we will be saved and the inheritance will be ours. And yet this is not a mercenary thing. We do it for the glory of Jesus. And the best thing about that inheritance is that we, with all God's people, will be with the Lord whom we love forever. So may I ask you today, do you have this hope? Because if you don't, then not only are you missing out on this life, you're, you're missing out on eternity. If, if you're not someone who has the hope, then come to God today and ask him to give you a new birth. Put your trust in Jesus who died for you, who paid the penalty of your sin, who rose again from the dead as the king of all who trust in him, so that those who believe in him and keep on believing him to the end, will enjoy his presence forever. And brothers and sisters who are trusting in Jesus, let us be thankful to God for his mercy to us. Let us bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Let us rejoice in our inheritance, thankful that God is keeping it for us and keeping us by faith for it. And so let us keep loving and trusting Jesus in the midst of the trials that we face now as we look forward to our future with him in glory. Brothers and sisters, everyone needs hope. And there is no better hope than the certain hope that we have in Jesus Christ. <music>